0: Hi, this is Rahman Sheikh. Welcome to Fortnightly Railway Transportation Systems Podcast. I am the host and railway systems specialist working in this industry for 24 years and counting. This podcast is primarily focused on on railway experts who have vast amount of experience and contributed greatly to this amazing industry. This is not a technical seminar, but focuses on feel-good stories, individual journeys, their success and failures, motivating younger generation to kickstart their career in railways and creating a sense of pride for the railway people who devoted their lives on the most environment-friendly public transportation. Our guest for this fortnight is Thijs van Steen. Thijs is an experienced system integration leader. His main professional experience is the north-south metro line in Amsterdam that went into revenue service in 2018 where he was responsible for systems integration. After that, Thais joined the digital systems program in Sydney, first as integration director and later as project director. Earlier this year, he and his family left Australia to return to Netherlands, his home country. Thais now supports various large projects and programs in applying a systems approach to delivery. Having been part of projects that have struggled significantly because of lack of integration, his personal mission now is to help major programs improve their performance by placing systems thinking at the core of their strategy. Thais has degrees in law and in business administration. In Australia, you would find Thais the paddling around in his fishing kayak in the Sydney Harbour before or after work. Having just moved back to the Northern Hemisphere, it will be interesting to see what kind of hobby would replace such a thing. Welcome to Railway Transportation Systems, Thijs.
1: Thanks, Raman. Very really? good to be here, mate.
0: Thank you. Oh, after reading out your intro, really, what is your new hobby
1: now? Oh, I think the jury is still out on that. Uh, my first hobby, uh, coming back to the Netherlands, of course, together with my wife, is making sure our uh, kids are settled back in. You know, in school and friends and sports and, and all that. And, uh, you know, that takes a, a lot of time. But it's a very important thing to do. And uh, I think uh, by now, after a couple of months, it's probably good to start looking around for that new hobby. It won't be fishing, that's for sure. It's way too cold. <laughs> yeah,
0: agreed. So my first generic question, can you share with us your professional story, especially railways?
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, so I didn't grow up uh, near railways. I grew up on a farm and there was not a train uh, inside for a long, long way. I think I uh, studied law. That was basically because I couldn't find anything else that I would you know, specifically like. And then and either law or business are a good you know, general alternative. Uh, you know, it gives you a lot of options. So I did that, and then in the end of the law school, I took procurement law and construction law as a, a specialization, if you, if you will, and that brought me into the building industry. And I think it was by chance that uh, some of the first projects I did in procurement uh, involved railways. So that was when I remember was the first uh, performance based maintenance contracts in the Netherlands for heavy rail. And then I think after a while, after a couple of years being uh, in legal consultancy and uh, procurement, I got involved with uh, North South Line doing the competitive dialogue for uh, one of the bigger contracts. And that basically got me deep into a railway system. First in project management and then later in integration uh, management, uh, understanding all the uh, the different uh, intricacies of of rail, and uh, that got me hooked a little bit. So uh, probably that that brought me into uh, in the rail business. I would say I think from all the people I've listened to so far in your podcast, uh, uh, Raman, I'm probably the least rail fanatic, if you will. You know, so I'm not i I'm not hooked. I don't have a model railway on my attic yet.
0: Anyways, you have brought a lot of value to the industry. I'm very grateful that you are in this industry. You got such a diverse experience and very different educational background. Reading through your intro, you did law. How does someone with a law degree ending up and managing railway projects
1: I think, yeah, probably because uh, a law degree, you'll see a lot of uh, uh, people with a law degree, for instance, in in politics, because I think a law degree gives you a a nice and wide view on, let's say, society and how things work, because a lot of things, you know, are regulated by law or by contracts or by agreements between different organizations. And I think uh, what I find being in projects and and especially rail projects they are say dominated but there are a lot of engineers they call them big engineering projects you know? and i think it's very good to make sure that in in an organization you have diverse views on running organizations and projects so i feel that you know with my different background i can add that different view and and value together with uh, people with a more engineering focus
0: i do agree with that a very different thinking probably that's the reason you bring creative strategies you know i saw your linkedin profile it reads driving an integrated approach to complex project delivery so what makes railway projects
1: complex oh that's um i can probably talk about that all day long, longer than you'll have uh, for the podcast, <laughs> that's for sure. Uh, first of all, n- not all of them are complex, I would say. But the, what makes them complex is probably when you have various systems and technologies that have to work together. That's an obvious one. Uh, I think the uh, the main complexity comes from the amount of stakeholders that are involved and that have an interest in the outcome of the project. And I think like a railway will cut right through public space. You know, they, they go through various properties of individuals of other organizations, and of course, they're funded by public money. So that means that they have a heavy impact on society and are influenced public opinion and politics. So that creates like a dynamics that You know, uh, in project world, uh, is is a challenge to manage, especially when your projects take a a couple of years, and that's hard to uh, to manage toward a project. I think uh, maybe uh, a complexity. When you talk about complexity, often compare that with a jigsaw puzzle. So, like a a complicated jigsaw puzzle is a a big puzzle of the ocean, for instance. So, a a lot of blue pieces that you have to uh, put together, and that's complicated. Complex part comes when. Uh, it's not really clear or it's under debate what the actual outcome of the puzzle should look like. And that while you're puzzling, like the corner pieces start drifting. So the puzzle is changing while you're making it. And that, that makes the complexity. So it's wow, more the an organizational part and uh, you know what people agree or not agree with each other to make it complex and not so much the technology. Good, what an answer. So actually,
0: when a generic thinking goes off, so we think that it's the ambiguity, uncertainty and the unpredictability which surrounds around us. But uh, so you explained what makes projects complex. So thinking on it, what do you think? What's the mitigation? How do you manage that complexity?
1: I think um, maybe staying in that jigsaw puzzle metaphor, I think uh, for leaders managing complexity, I think an important thing is the ability to show people the big picture in a way that they can understand it so you know the the, the box of the jigsaw puzzle uh, if you will and that requires i think two things effective communication being able to you know simplify uh, complex uh, topics in, in, in short verbally visual messaging but it's also and that's the, the systems part being able to understand the big picture so looking at uh, projects from a systems perspective and so what happens in in big Projects and you know this sounds simple, of course, but uh, the bigger projects get, there is a tendency to lose sight of that big picture, and that I think that has to do with, of course, you know the heavy pressures on the short term. You know uh, you have to meet milestones and uh, contract claims, and there is uh, imminent issues you have to manage and risks. So it's hard for leaders to look ahead. You simply don't have the time uh, sometimes. It's also you know because projects get broken down into smaller parts, and if you're a program of works, they get broken down to separate projects so having communication across those parts and between those projects especially when they're for instance located in separate uh, buildings that is also a reason why the big picture get lost and the many disciplines and and sometimes uh, cultures involved in projects it's people just speak different languages, both like actual different languages, but also like an engineer talking to a finance guy or a legal guy, they they have a hard time understanding them, even if both of them speak perfect English, right? So they just have a different view of the world. So being able to paint the big picture in the context of what it is actually that you're trying to achieve. So what are the the benefits and the outcomes of this project? What, what should they be? Also to your stakeholders and what are the principles involved? In delivering this project. So, what are the things that we hold true no matter what? If you're able to articulate those and get them agreed to by your key stakeholders within your project and being able to, you know, report your progress, uh, explain your, your difficulties in the context of those principles and those benefits. I think uh, if you're able to do that as a leader, then you stand a good chance of, uh, you know, keeping the, the, the ship on course uh, and, and managing that complexity.
0: Well, you have actually defined on something about shared goal you also touch roles and responsibilities i think that's a really a productive discussion so we touched about staff about engineers and various roles but when it comes to leaders what are those most important attributes of successful
1: railway delivery leaders today I think uh, uh, that effective communication, you know, as I just uh, said, I think that's an important one, maybe the most important one. Um, but another one, and that's a little bit of a bugbear of mine, it is the, the ability but also the willingness to learn. So what I'm always astounded about, and not just in railway projects, how little effort is taken in learning lessons from previous projects, either in the same industry or the industries, I think it's a big responsibility for leaders, especially again in projects funded with public money, to learn. So to really make an effort of looking what kind of risks have eventuated in in other projects and and, and what the strategies were to, to deal with them. And then try to, to create strategy to prevent those risks. I think, uh, yeah, you know, the the amount of of wheels reinvented and and mistakes copied that happen in our industry is just uh, it's a little bit of a shame. I think, you know, so uh, uh, I think there is a big, big responsibility and a big opportunity to to make more, to create more value or, or reduce risks by just learning from each other. I think uh, actually. Uh, um, Right. And when you look at like mega projects, like let's say Sydney Metro or something, or West Connect, North Connect, those kinds of projects over a billion, let's say, I think they should have a chief learning officer in the board that makes an absolute point out of ensuring that, uh, especially, you know, the pitfalls that uh, other projects, you know, uh, fell into that they are avoided in uh, projects that are being planned or executed at the moment. Cause, uh, you know, you, you can't really leave that up to other disciplines, because as I said, most of the time people are just too busy uh, uh, learning lessons. I
0: agree. What an answer. So you touched lessons learned and highlighted the importance of learning. But what I see is because we deliver projects and we keep doing the same thing, not adopting what you just highlighted. And for all these, we need a change to bring in the way we deliver the projects but what I see is, what a new habit do you think we need to develop so that we can adopt this easily?
1: Yeah, what I said, I think about the chief learning officer is not really a habit. That's just a structural mitigation. But often what we did in the um, digital systems program, because I think that the really strong point about that program is that the customer benefits, but also the project principles are very clear and they get communicated like actively and a lot. So when we would have like a, a big challenge or a big issue, we would discuss them not only time, cost, money, risk, but also in the context of the principles. So, you know, what, what do the project principles say and what kind of direction do they point us in? I think uh, to answer your question, a habit could be that if you run into an issue or you, you have to make a strategic decision or a delivery strategy or a procurement strategy whatever, to ask yourself the question, your management team or in your project, do we see other uh, usable examples of solutions or strategies that could, you know, fit us that have been delivered uh, uh, with success? So, have we looked around? Have we got any inspiration or just direct answers from other projects uh, around the globe? Because you know, as you have probably uh, would have, uh, you know, experienced yourself. Especially uh, since COVID, the world is not a big place anymore. It's just, you know, you're, I'm, uh, I'm in the Netherlands, you're in Australia, and we're just having it at 7 o'clock in the morning. In the morning for me, that's no issue. It's a, it's a click of a button uh, uh, to, to get those lessons. And what I do see is that every time that you reach out to anyone in, in a project, they are always very, very keen to, you know, to be involved and to, to share their experiences. It's, that without any exception, it's always the case.
0: Brilliant. Amazing. I agree with you. You know, when it comes to you from a professional angle, because I want to ask something about personal question to you, what do you like most about
1: your work? For me, it's the, the sheer amount of different people with different backgrounds, with different from different cultures, with, from different disciplines that are involved and that are required to deliver a, a, a large scale project. It's so diverse, that makes it fun. I must say that is a little bit what I already miss about Australia because when it comes to diversity I think uh, Australia is, is is awesome you know just uh, the amount of uh, different cultures and uh, people different backgrounds so that is the already the fun part but then for me personally you know being leading projects is challenge to you know try to influence and manage people towards you know one you know, similar outcome and a similar goal. Uh, and uh, the more diverse it gets, uh, the harder that gets. And that makes it uh, a lot of fun. Can you give an example? Yeah, I think uh, an example I use often because it was, uh, it was fun. It was in, in uh, Amsterdam at the North-South line. So we had uh, an issue with the stopping accuracy of the CBTC uh, system. Or at least that's that's what the operator thought. That was an issue with the system. Uh, the system supplier was Elstom. You know, so already a different culture, French uh, and, and Dutch culture. They disagreed. They said it's a driver error. So you know, this, the driver doesn't stop accurately enough. And that became a a tricky issue because it also you know it eroded the confidence in the system a little bit. And we were far into integration testing, so it was one of the bigger issues. And the more we discussed it, the more people you know got entrenched in their own position and someone came up with a, a, a very good idea it turned out to be a very good idea they said okay let's make some kind of a contest you know and let's uh, challenge those drivers a little bit we created uh, the let's say the driver of the week contest so the driver that manages to have the most uh, accurate uh, stopping position on the platforms for uh, over a week wins a prize so the challenge was taken up by the drivers so uh, you know it got you know, it went from ear to ear and they were triggered a little bit. So, uh, and actually over a week time, we saw the stopping accuracy improve significantly to a point that actually we could eliminate the issue because it was clear, you know, what the, the issue was. So uh, we put some extra effort on, on, on training of drivers on stopping accuracy. So problem solved, that was creative, but, you know, and the good thing, you know, you, you could have thought that, Showing that outcome, the operator would be frustrated because they were wrong, but the opposite was the case. So, they took that absolutely very well, you know. Also, uh, handed out the price to their drivers because, you know, in the end, and that was the good thing, especially in the last part of the North South line, there was only one goal. So, people didn't have a, an interest of, of being right. They, everyone had the interest of delivering the system and delivering the outcomes to the city. So, you know, it was a a little bit of a creative solution, a very, you know, people-oriented solution, you know, to, uh, triggering people to, to basically do the right thing. And uh, that was the one and we looked back on and said, oh, that was it was so simple, but it was so such a, a, a beautiful solution. Could have turned out that we tried to look for an engineering solution and made a modification to the system or whatever and spent uh, millions of dollars and then delayed two months. But, you know, in the end, it was just a simple uh, personal intervention.
0: Interesting story. Very good. Lots to take in. And as we speaking on leaders and projects, let's keep doing this. It's really interesting. What do you think are the most dangerous traits in a poor leader?
1: That's an interesting question because you know normally the question is, what is that, what are the important traits in a good leader? So uh, let, me, let me think. I think it has to do with feedback. So I think a dangerous trait is for a leader to not ask or not listen to or not recognizing feedback and uh, that you get. Because it's very hard for people, it depends a little bit on the culture that you're in, but it's it's generally hard for people to give feedback to their leaders, to their boss, if you will. So if they do it at all, if they give you that feedback, which is, you know, important to get, but uh, if they do, they'll probably sugarcoat it a little bit or they'll hide it a little bit in subliminal uh, uh, messaging. So I think it is important for a leader to create a context and an environment that, you know, giving feedback... To each other and also to yourself create that environment is, is cr- critical but also you need to develop a good radar to recognize feedback when it's given to you so attention trade is to just ignore that or or not having the, that radar so that you know when, when your team or when your environment is trying to tell you something that you know it gets lost uh, on you
0: 100 percent agree with your suggestions or advice feedback is such a critical thing so being
1: a leader yourself what sort of a leader would your team say you are? I think if you ask uh, in Australia, they'll say I'm a crazy Dutchie. So, uh, but I think uh, charismatic and energetic and I think a little bit opportunistic as well. So, yeah, you said... Before, you know, you have some creative strategies. I think that's the case. And, uh, you know, I have the tendency to, say, uh, uh, push through a little bit. You know, uh, I, I remember that uh, um, it was a good example. So in the when I, I did the tender for the digital systems program, because I came over not, you know, as part of transport uh, for New South Wales, but part of one of the bids for the systems integrator, it was very clear the message from transport in that bid was because, you know, digital systems is a European train control system. So lots of people... Came over from Europe, and the message was: we don't tell you what to do; you tell us what to do because you're the expert. So after a while, I moved to transport, we lost that bit, and ended up on the transport side as the integration director. And uh, someone told me because you know we struggled a bit uh, at some at one point. Um, remember that uh, transport said we don't tell you what to do; you tell us what to do because you're the experts. I said, yeah, I remember that. Looks like they changed their mind, you know, because uh, their integration strategy, as, as you know, I think digital systems has a, has a very strong integration strategy. Uh, at some point, that was under debate a little bit. But then, you know, my answer to that person was, let's change their minds back then, you know, because in the end, that is what they asked us to do. So when things get tough, they expect us to follow through and not to, you know follow their leads because you know, in the end we do need to tell them what to do because you know when it comes to the european trend yeah there are lessons that we bring that you know have to be learned so uh, uh, persistence i would think as well
0: Yep, i agree i have seen you working uh, i definitely agree with persistence and being charismatic so there are lots more questions i really need to ask you but looking into the time uh, what we could do is, let's do a quick,
1: rapid round. So my first question is, what's your favorite quote? I think it's a quote from Roosevelt, but you're never sure about quotes, but I think it's Roosevelt. He said, planning about a problem without offering a solution is called whining. Wow. Please share an experience in which you presented to your group. I remember that uh, uh, the first time I came to Australia, uh, that was in the in the process of the that bit I was talking about. I flew over, landed at 6 in the morning from Europe. So I was a little bit groggy and dizzy from a jet lag and then went straight into a full day of workshops. So I was super nervous, you know, new country and I was very tired. And so I remember I went into quickly into the hotel to drop my bags and grab a cab to an office. And I ran into the revolving door. Like I smashed into it because it went the other way than I expected. Because, uh, you know, everything is uh, upside down in Australia or Europe. It depends on yeah. where you are. So I took the wrong and I just smashed into the door. And I went in front of a big group right away. So thrown in the deep. And there were a couple of Aussies that uh, I'm still friends with uh, at the moment. I uh, met there for the first time. And they said, how are you going? I said, well, I'm a bit nervous and my nose hurts. And I said, what, why? He said, yes, you know, she smashed into the door. It goes the wrong way. And that was like perfect icebreaker. And then, you know, there was a big laugh. And then, you know, there were all people in suits uh, in that room. But then I found out, you know, that you can put an Aussie into a suit. But if the joke is good, you know, the ice is broken, then you'll have a fun time.
0: Agreed, agreed. Share a time when you dealt calmly and effectively with a high stress situation.
1: I'll stay in that example
0: because we had to present to transport.
1: Uh, and all day long and my feedback afterwards was first a little Aussie quote I put in my black book was uh, cool as a cucumber so you know I had to uh, lead a workshop there and that was you know designed to be stressful because it was one uh, part of the tender right so they threw all sorts of stuff at you you know uh, and see how the team deal with that and especially you know leader was targeted especially of course And again, I saw there was a colleague of mine that is a very, very experienced program leader, like super experienced. And he just, he was so jet lagged. He told me, you have to take over, mate, because I'm just, I'm failing. So it was a very stressful environment. It was very fun. But, you know, uh, after, uh, you know, I amazed myself a little bit, uh, stay afloat and keep calm. And then afterwards, it was actually Bill Palazzi that told me, you know, cool, cool as a cucumber. So... It was a good
0: one. So before I let you go, my last question, what's your advice to the newcomers into this industry?
1: First advice is uh, you picked well, you know, because uh, the railway is a very, very good industry. It's not only good because, you know, it's it's future-proof and, you know, uh, you provide a public service in a sustainable way. So that's very important, of course, especially nowadays. But I do feel that, that the railway is an actual family. Right, so uh, it is very good to see, you know, uh, how tightly knit that community is. Now, your your podcast is a good example. Uh, you know, Thank th- you. You don't really see a lot of these things. At at least I haven't seen a lot of these things in other industries. Another advice is: so the railway is special, but it's not unique. Railway likes to think they're special. Often, you know, and that's just how we do it in railways kind of thing. But again, you know, look around as well. Look, for instance, to process industry, you know, because there's lots to learn. There's lots to learn about, you know, when it comes to an integrated big project. I think uh, a railway has to learn from other industries because we're not unique. A project is a project. There are a couple of elements that make it specific for rail, but that's the minority. Biggest chunks of project delivery are the same in every industry. So Learn. Uh, this would be my, uh, my advice.
0: Thank you. Thanks for your advice, Thais. Uh, I have to say I thoroughly enjoyed discussing with you and learned a lot about project deliveries and leadership from the bottom of my heart. Thanks for joining this podcast. Thanks for your time, Thais.
1: Same here, uh, Raiman, and, and a big compliments to you and your podcast. I really enjoy listening to it. You've had some very nice amazing guests already. And uh, you know, it's a big honor to be uh, in, the, in that growing list of, uh, of guests. Thank you. I believe everyone listening to this
0: podcast has got something to take away from today's discussion. If you like this podcast, please listen, follow and share this podcast within your network. If you believe we should be sharing your story or someone within your network, there is a railway leader, who should be here sharing his or her contribution to this industry? Contact me on railway transportation systems at gmail.com. Thank you for your time today. See you next fortnight. Until then, stay safe and take care of yourself.